Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Aaron. Let's go. Well, there's a problem there. <laughs> we're not exactly sure where we're going. I know where we're going. Oh. But because I had the the premonition or the question, the thought posed in my head as I was watching this of, wait, where does this take place? And the thing that made me, that prompted it was a scene where it was raining and I was under the assumption that this took place in Los Angeles and then there was rain and it wasn't so much because yes, it does rain in Los Angeles. That wasn't the thing that I was like, this is Los Angeles. The thing that made me question if it was Los Angeles was that it was raining and people were doing things. Ah, (laughs) Because when it rains in Los Angeles, no, it might as well be a snow day. No one wants to do anything. There's, oh, you poor people. There's, you don't want to go to the store. You don't want to be out. Oh, my God, your feet might get wet. Things things are going to get wet. So when I saw all the, the rain and people were were on sidewalks and then there was all this driving around in cars, I said, wait, this is L.A.? And then I made myself chuckle. And then when I saw, like, the streets and everything, yes, it is in Los Angeles. So I guess this was before there was a, as a whole bunch of people here and nobody knows how to drive in the rain. And everyone well, just decided to pack it in when it rains. I will say that, yes, the rain confused me because I thought it was Los Angeles for a while. And then, not that the, not that the setting has anything to do with the plot, lot more on that um but uh, it did look like a sound stage like um well, it was warner yeah. brothers yeah it's the back lot of warner brothers yeah i've been on that lot yeah it's the same yeah. lot that we've seen in all these tons of movies because it looked like brownstones <laughs> yeah. when they were on the sidewalk i'm going that's new york but then that's- they would they would have the things in the hills and the they yeah, they did that. The but those, they don't have no brownstones in Los Angeles. I'm in Los Angeles. <laughs> it's pretty, yeah, probably not. Yeah. Okay. If they do, they were only built so that people for like uh, backlot studio, you know, yeah. like but functioning. Oh, yeah. that, that would be a good idea. That's what a developer should do. But I guess then real people live there, and it would, they would get mad because yeah, you really live de- in New York, and the, and they use the brownstones all the time. Oh yeah, that's true. Well, there you go, yeah. developers. There's an idea for you. Jumping Jack Flash, her apartment is still there. Yep. Yeah. Uh. Well. Uh, although they have the back lot, so. Okay. We this week we are doing the 1946 movie, The Big Sleep. In which private eye, Philip Marlowe, played by Humphrey Bogart, is hired by General Sternwood to help resolve the gambling debts of his wild young daughter. Her old, his older daughter. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> More about the plot later. Ooh, his guys. older daughter proved assistant. Um, provided assistance when she implies that there that the situation is more complex. 
It's extremely complex to the point where nobody can follow this plot at all, but there's more about that later. It is. It's not just us. Everyone is like, this is a convoluted plot. Yeah. Yes. And so we would like to go with the particulars because there are some good people in this movie. Oh, okay. So we have The Big Sleep. It was released by Warner Brothers on, get this, Ma, August 23rd. That's why you picked it. I didn't know. We watched it on August 23rd. We let our listeners think we have a plan. Oh, we tumble into these things and don't know how it happens, but we want the listeners to think we planned it. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't. There's more on that, but I can't get into that. So, yeah, the big sleep. August 23rd. We I planned it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, play poker with Aaron. I don't play poker for that reason. (laughs) This? These are my cards? (laughs) Or I'm all in. (laughs) Everything. 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 (laughs) Guys, you might want to get in on this. Seriously. Okay. It was directed and produced by Howard Hawks. Who we had last week. With Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. We also had him for His Girl Friday. He also did uh-huh. Bringing Up Baby, the original Scarface, and Red River. The screenplay by what? William Faulkner. What? Yes. Yes, that, that Nobel Faulkner. Prize laureate author, William Faulkner. The author of The Sound and the Fury, As I Lay Dying, and Light in August. He was also a screenwriter. He was uncredited on Gunga Din, To Have and Have Not, and The Land of Pharaohs. Why was he uncredited? Because he was just like, oh, you guys want me to take a look at this? Sure. I'm William Faulkner. I'll take a look at it. I think he said I'm William fucking. I'm William, yeah. I, I get to have know. and have not was filmed before this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I had, pl- of course, see, I did the um, counterintuitive move because, see, I knew that I would be watching it <laughs> on August 23rd. And there that's why go. I went with the big sleep and you not the blew movie it again. to have and have not, which yeah. was the movie where Bacall and Bogey met. See, right. no, big picture. I was looking at the August 23rd date. Exactly, exactly. And Aug- there's another reason why we picked this one. Just stay with me. Keep going. Okay. Also, Lee Brackett, uh, she wrote Rio Bravo and The Long Goodbye. She was the first woman shortlisted for the Hugo Award, Nerd Alert, that's the literary award voted on by members of the World Science Fiction Convention. She oh. is also known as the Queen of Space Opera. Oh. And Jules Furthman, he also wrote 
Well, Ma, I don't know if you would consider him a writer because he has numerous well, if you don't, screenplay don't credits for silent films. Oh, my gosh. Bring it up again. <laughs> and he also worked on The Outlaw, To Have and Have Not, Rio Bravo. Oh, yeah, and a ton of silent films. See? Based yeah, on don't count. the book <laughs> The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler. This was his first novel. He also wrote Farewell, My Lovely, The Little Sister, and The Long Goodbye, and the Double Indemnity screenplay, along with <gasps> The Blue, Blue Dahlia and Strangers on a Train. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Remember we mentioned him when we did Double Indemnity? Yes. We, I don't remember, but yes, I did recall Double Indemnity. The music Thank is you. by Max Steiner. He was a child prodigy. He did his first operetta at age 12. He became a full-time professional at 15. Damn. He did 300 scores with RKO Pictures and Warner Brothers. 24 Oscar nominations. Won three for The Informer, now Voyager, and Since You Went Away. He also did the scores for King Kong, Little Women, Jezebel, Casablanca, the Searchers, A Summer Place, and Gone with the Wind. <gasps> do, do. But I can't even. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. We don't want you to. No, you don't. <laughs> uh, the director of photography is Sidney Hickok. He also did The Man Who Talked Too Much, To Have and Have Not, and Cheyenne. <gasps> He, Where will you be sleeping tonight? Lonely night. Cheyenne. Um, see, that's the kind of, I don't know. I've never seen an episode of Cheyenne before. I don't oh, know this. Wow. Only, I learned Cheyenne because that's how I learned that Cheyenne is the state capital of Wyoming. <laughs> that's right. Because mommy put music to it for you. Exactly. And I know that if you were a parent, like, well, you are a parent now, but I know that if that Taylor Swift song, You Need to Calm Down, was out when we were little kids, <laughs> that you, <laughs> I laugh every time I hear it, because I'm like, this would be a song you would love to sing to us to tell us to calm down. Can you tell, uh -oh, the, can you uh -oh. tell the, lis the listener what I used to sing to you guys, and you didn't know it was a song till you were in your teens. I didn't know. There was a couple. You really loved You Can't Always Get What You Want. That was my signature move. It was move. the signature. I didn't even realize that was a song. Like, the first time I found out that that was a song, my head exploded. I was like, what? And then you also like to sing Time Is On My Side when you're just going to wait us out. <laughs> Those two songs. So, oh, I was such a fun mom. That's why I'm like, man, if this Taylor Swift song had been around, she would have loved to sing this to us. <laughs> um, where were we? It was edited. Oh, Sidney Hickok. He directed multiple episodes of I Love Lucy, the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour, and most of the Andy Griffith Show. I can't whistle, so we're out of luck with that one. Oh, darn. Right. It was edited by Christian Nyby. He did The Red River, To Have and Have Not, 
He was director of multiple episodes of The Twilight Zone, I Spy, Lassie, Gunsmoke, Bonanza, and he also directed a movie called The Thing from Another World. Ooh, I'll bet your poppy saw that. I bet he did. The cast, starring as Philip Marlowe. I almost said Dr. Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's Humphrey Bogart. More on that later. He is... Uh, he, he also was in Up the River, The Petrified Forest, High Sierra, The Maltese Falcon, Casablanca, To Have and Have Not, Key Largo, The Treasure of Sierra Madre, and The African Queen. Yes. Then we have... As Vivian Sternwood Rutledge, Lauren Bacall. She was also into Have and Have Not, Key Largo, How to Marry a Millionaire, and The Mirror Has Two Faces, and a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. And then John Ridgely as Eddie Mars. He was in Arsenic and Old Lace, Nora Prentice, The Greatest Show on Earth, Martha Vickers. She played Carmen Sternwood. Uh, I thought it was interesting. She was married to producer A.C. Lyles, and she was married to Mickey Rooney. Really? Mm -hmm. She was in The Falcon in Mexico, The Time, The Time, The Place, and The Girl, and Perry Mason. Dorothy Malone, she played the Acme bookstore clerk. She was, she was in Written on the Wind and won Best Supporting Actress Oscar. For that, she was in Peyton Place, and her last screen performance was in Basic Instinct. Oh wow! Yeah, more on her later. Oh, interesting. Tasty Nuggets. Ooh, Regis Toomey. He was Chief Inspector Bernie. I don't oh, know. Oh, Bernie. Okay. I guess so. I was like, the only reason is because I looked at his um. What movies he was in, and then had to go back and be like, I don't even know who this character is. But he was in His Girl Friday, Meet John Doe, Spellbound, The Bishop's Wife, and Guys and Dolls, to name a few. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And then Elijah, I'm guessing it's Elijah. Yeah, it's just not spelled the way Elijah usually is. It's Mm -hmm. actually spelled phonetically. E-L-I-S-H-A. Yeah. That's, I like that spelling. Yeah. Uh, Elisha St- Cook Jr. J. Yeah. He was Harry Jones. He was also in the Maltese Falcon, Born to Kill, Shane, The Killing, and Rosemary's Baby. Ah. So there are the particulars. Okay. Well, this is a black and white movie. It's a film noir. It starts out with Humphrey Bogart lighting Lauren Bacall's cigarette as the credits roll. And as the credits roll, there's just smoke because it is a film noir. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there we see a stern wood plaque on a door and Mr. Marlowe arrives at a mansion. And a young girl comes downstairs in some very strange looking shorts. And shoes. And she says to him, you're not very tall. And he says, I try to be. Well, uh, she falls into his arms. Okay, I didn't. Sorry, Ma. I I have to butt in here. Because I did not notice anything about the shorts or anything. 
because the first probably 15 minutes of this film, I'm going, oh my God, he's, he, he's a bobblehead. Humphrey Bogart's a bobblehead. I, he has a big, like Nancy has, Reagan, a big head and a skinny body. Like who? Nancy Reagan. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he is all head. I've yeah. never seen a noggin this big. And, yeah. I mean, I've seen some pretty big heads. Oh, my God. That was directed <laughs> at me if you didn't get it. Shots fired. Whew. But, Ma, I mean, this guy's head. I, I'm telling you for real. My notes. <laughs> big head. And I wrote these notes with my left hand because I was eating a chicken wing. It, that's my very first note of this. In all capital, left-handed writing, big head. Couldn't get over it. Could not. Oh, my gosh. He was a man of small stature, but his head was average size. He had the head of Andre the Giant. Because I looked up how tall, because he's always making fun of how short he is in this movie. So I looked up, I was like, oh, how tall is Humphrey Bogart? The internet said he was 5'8". No, I don't believe that. No, with his platform shoes on, maybe. Maybe, but I can't believe like his head. It's like that the whole thing in uh, when when Mike Myers and so I married an axe murderer is making fun of the kid's head. It I felt it pulling me toward the television. I'm like the man's been dead for almost sixty years, over sixty years or something, and his head is pulling me towards this television set it's the gravitational pull okay yeah he's you know for the heartthrob that he was you go wow i guess girls back then were really into bad boys because he just is a bad boy but a little tiny bad boy he's a little tiny but i gotta say i mean we'll get to it later okay okay Well, uh, this girl falls into his arms. We find out that this is the youngest daughter of General Sternwood, and her name is... Carmen. Carmen. It did start with a C. Mm -hmm. Okay, but the general wants to see him, and he's just like... uh, like what what's the deal with this woman who's falling into me but not that strange because other women do too so he goes in to see the general in a greenhouse it's a, a greenhouse for orchids so it's quite humid in there and the general is in a wheelchair with a blanket over his legs and he's being blackmailed And he was blackmailed earlier, and he paid $5,000 to this man, Brody, to leave his youngest daughter alone. And then we uh, talk about Sean Regan, who um, was a member of the Irish Republican Army, and he used to work for the general, but he just up and left. He just left. He just disappeared. He was the general's muscle, right? Because the general said, he did my drinking for me. Right. And uh, I guess that the general's liver is shot because the general can't even drink. I mean, he but he gives drinks to other people so that they drink in front of him. So he almost like can enjoy it through them because he 
gives quite a bit of liquor to um, Philip Marlowe. Um, Okay, so then we hear about Carmen Sternwood, this floozy, and um, something about gambling debts being paid. So I guess that um, there is a guy named Geiger who runs a gambling establishment and the Carmen owes him a whole lot of money and Geiger is blackmailing the general to get that money back. That's what I assume is happening. Okay. Well, is that like what you, you know, or that's just like the movie? Because I had to read what this movie was about after I watched it. Yeah, and there's more about that in Tasty Nuggets, too. Okay. Okay, so then um, the butler, uh, he's, uh, Marlowe is leaving the greenhouse, and whew, oh, he was sweating up a storm in there. And the butler says, by the way, Vivian Rutledge... Uh, who is the general's older daughter, wants to see Philip Marlowe. Now, they said that Vivian was spoiled and ruthless. And, um, okay, we're not to that yet. Okay, so uh, Philip Marlowe tells the general he gets $25 a day plus expenses. But that was kind of funny. Okay, so then he has to go see Lauren Bacall, who is Vivian Rutledge. And she asks, can you handle dad's business? And then they have banter, um, sexual tension banter. And um, she says, I want this case handled with the least possible problems for dad. Because dad is in very ill health. And then she tells uh, Philip Marlowe she doesn't like his manners. Oh, no, no. Philip Marlowe tells her he doesn't like her manners. And she said, people don't talk to me like that. You're not doing a very good Lauren Bacall. People don't talk to me. It's more like people don't talk to me like that. And she thinks that Philip Marlowe is there to find Sean, Sean, the Irish Republican dude, uh, who left like a month ago. And, um, okay, so then he goes out and he says, the butler made a mistake, Rutledge didn't want to see me. So, uh, um, the general gave him a packet of stuff, I guess, picture. No, they weren't pictures. They were, uh, promissory notes signed by Carmen that, um, the debts would be paid to Mr. Geiger and something in that packet also had a, a business card that said Geiger dealt with rare books and antiquities. So, Philip Marlowe, being the P.I. he is, goes to find Geiger. And um, he goes in the store, Geiger's store, and that's where we meet Agnes. And Agnes is the store clerk. 
And he makes up a story about he wants this rare book of Ben-Hur with a duplicated page or something. And I was like, Ben-Hur? But this movie was made in 1940. This is before Ben-Hur. And I was like, oh, it must be based on a book. More on that. So, um, Mr. Geiger isn't in. And then we hear Thunder for the aforementioned rain that's going to come. And uh, he goes, well, I guess I'll go to the bookstore across the street and look for it. Um, So he goes across the street to the bookstore, and there is a female clerk there who had on really cool glasses. They were really cool. She's the one that won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. For this? No, not for this. Later. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Her glasses just like pinched your nose. There were no uh, ear. What are these called? The things on the side? No side ear holders. The ear shelf things. Uh, it's raining. So she is coming on to him like he's this, like it's Brad Pitt that walked in the store. Anyway, <clears throat> she closes the store because nobody's going to come in in the rain anyway. And, um, he says, uh, can you, uh, oh, yes, yes. She has to take off her glasses yeah. and let her hair down for him to be able to even pretend to flirt And with then her. he's like, wow. <coughs> I thought she looked better with her hair up and glasses on. Those were cool glasses. Come on. Yeah. Okay, so she goes, uh, BTW, Geiger's leaving this bogus store. And so Bogey has to leave to follow Geiger. And they come to Laverne Terrace, which evidently is up Laurel Canyon, Mm. uh, to Geiger's home. And another car pulls up. Now it's raining, and so people are having to run, and they have hoods and hats and stuff on. Yeah, I'm just like, wow, what is, there's a lot of people doing a lot of things for considering it's raining. So uh, then, um, so Bogey pulls up and he just parks his little car. And then another car pulls up and there's a woman that gets out. And I said, Carmen, question mark? Yes, it was. So she gets in and runs to the house. Bogey gets out in his uh, trench coat, you know, like a total Bogey thing. And yes, it's Carmen's car. And then we hear a scream and we hear gunshots. And we see a man running and driving away. So Bogie breaks into this bungalow. And Carmen is sitting in a chair and she's humming. And I wrote drunk, but in reality, I knew she wasn't drunk. You knew that it was like opioids or something? Yeah, she was like totally spaced out. Like, uh, as someone once said, high as fuck. (laughs) Because she is kind of humming in this chair and just doing an in and out thing. And there's a dead man on the floor in front of her. Or she could be having like a a mental significant trauma event. She, She could. I mean, there's a dead guy. So I'm going to place one and one together and say she witnessed a murder. I'm thinking she witnessed it or she performed it. Well, remember we saw? Didn't you say we saw the guy leave? We did see a nerd guy leave. alert. So notice, like how we see the guy leave, 
when he's leaving, the camera is... <laughs> that was my wine bottle. Excuse me, people. The camera is pointed down, so all we see is his feet. Yes. Because Marlo doesn't see who he is, so the audience can't see who he is. I was like, ah, nice. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, okay. by all means. Yeah, it, it's a gallon bottle. It's, it's hard to deal with. <laughs> it's unwieldy. Okay. Are you pouring it into a glass? Yes, oh. I'm not drinking it out of the gallon jug. I just pictured okay. you with two hands just every time, like a sippy cup of wine. Um, okay, I'll, I'll take that advice. Well, uh, Marlo goes in there, and it's just a weird scene, and there's this bust like a... Um, well, uh, may I just point out that this is a crime scene. Oh, yeah. And, and he's not worried about fingerprints. He is very disrespectful to crime scenes, so upholding the integrity of crime scenes. He's just walking around. He's this moving is 46. things. He didn't know. He hadn't been watching Dateline. He's touching, putting his hands all over everything. Everything. There's a phone. He nobody's making any phone calls. I think he just looks. I don't think he even takes a pulse. I think he just flips the jacket and is like, "It's nothing I can do." Yeah, lots of blood there. Mm. I'm not dealing with that. Sorry, and buddy. There's this uh, bust of like a. Um, Asian um, God type thing. I don't even know. There basically there's a camera hidden inside this bust. Right. And which I'm like, wait, what is this cam what is going on in this movie? And it was nineteen forty six, so there was actually film, but the film had been removed from the camera. And the the bust is uh, heading straight toward Carmen, who is sitting in this um, Asian decor chair, doing her humming and her um, autistic rocking. And um, that's not that's that's still politically okay, isn't it? Autistic to, rocking because it's a real autistic. I'm sure it's problematic. But I think fine. I just said something problematic. <laughs> I apologize. But she, yeah. So, um, okay. So. I mean, I Ma, if a shower had been near, she definitely would be curled up in the fetal position, rocking back and forth in the shower. Okay. So it could be emotional distress, but there was also something else going on with her that was more than alcohol-induced. I'm just saying. More than one He's... thing can be true, Ma. She can be high as fuck and also going through uh, some sort of oh, traumatic yeah. trauma shock thing. True, which would be even more traumatizing because you don't know what's real and what's not, maybe, in that maybe situation. And who knows what drug she's on. I mean, if she's on an acid trip... Who knows what she's seeing, right? Yeah, I'm feeling like this might be opium. It seemed like it was more of a heroin kind of thing. Okay, because I did expect him to check her veins, and he didn't. But, yeah. I expected I a, um, a a needle to be, a hypodermic <laughs> needle to be somewhere. I think that that is against the code. <gasps> yes, the code. Okay, speaking of code, he finds a coded book. I forgot about that. Man, yeah, he finds there's a coded so much book. in this movie. 
and he decides he has to get Carmen out. Okay, so Bogey goes back to the Sternwood home, and Bacall has to help him with Carmen, and she says, did you do this? And he tells her, you, you need to drop this whole thing. You never saw me. You never saw your sister. You never saw anything. Your sister was home all night. Got it? Um, what did she forget about Sean Regan? I don't know what that means. Mm. And then she says, you go too far, Marlo. Well, he walks back to his car and goes into... He walks back to his car. He goes back to the house of Geiger and the body is gone. He the goes blood back stain. to the crime scene. There's no tape put up. There's nobody taking any pictures. There's no dusting of fingerprints. Nothing. No, nothing. The body is gone. Big old blood stain is still on the carpet <sighs> and he leaves. Okay. Bogey goes home or his office is home. Remember, um, in the verdict yeah his office was also where he lived anyway uh he is trying to figure out the code you know like with the alphabet is it every fifth letter anyway he called uh -uh. it's 2 a.m and there's a knock at his door it's bernie from the police now we heard earlier that marlo is a pi because he had to leave the police because he always got into trouble didn't hear that yeah so he um he has this friend bernie who is still on the pol in the police department so bernie calls him and says yeah we're like uh pulling this car out of the water at the wharf and it appears it's sternwood's driver his neck is broken what and oddly two out of every three drivers sternwood has have lost their jobs due to carmen that little hussy Oh, okay. Now, Bogey goes to his office. There's a reason why he's so slight. I mean, he's going everywhere. And Lauren Bacall is waiting for him. And there is someone named Owen Taylor who wanted to marry Carmen. And, and then there's... Uh, $5,000 is wanted for the picture and the negative, I guess, from the killing? I mean, we no. never saw the picture. So We never saw what picture it is they're talking about. Okay, because I had to, I had to read what happened. It's And a lot of it has to do with it, things be getting, okay, nerd alert. I have to do this nerd alert here. There is a thing called the Hayes Code from 1934 to 1954 for movies. And they weren't allowed to show anything that was pornographic. So in the book, Geiger is selling pornography. And that's his, he peddles in pornography. And that's his, um, how he's in with the organized crime and stuff. And so, wow. and he's also in a homosexual relationship with Lundgren. So in the novel, Carmen is 
so he there it's the pictures so they're nude pictures that carmen is in well you don't you don't know what the pictures are in the movie yeah because they can't say anything they can't say anything about her being nude but they allude to it so they say that she's in a chinese dress and sitting in a chinese chair but which was at geiger's house yeah, so she was naked, and and when later on, a Chinese when she, dress is naked. Is that is that, that code for naked? That was what the code that they could put in in the oh movie. Oh my god! I don't know if Chinese dress is some sort of super racist like way to code name wow. for pornography. I don't know if Chinese chair is like a weird sex swing or something. <laughs> I don't no, know. There was a Chinese chair there. I just chose to call it Asian. I because I'm woke. I I don't know. It's funny to me how they like they had this haze code, but then it made thing people be more racist. Like you, we can't have anything about people being naked or pornography. But so <laughs> to go around it, we have to use racism. Well, we have to kind of be racist to describe this. I don't know. Maybe it's not. It just seemed that way. So, and later when she shows up at Marlo's place, she's fully, and he kicks her out. In the book, in the book, she's naked. And in the book, she's naked when he goes to the, um, when the gunshots go off and he barges in. Oh. She's supposed to be naked, but she couldn't be naked. Oh, and, and she did have on a, Chinese type kimono. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. She's an artist, a free spirit. Yes. Everyone knows such things. Exactly. If you wear a kimono. Wow. Okay. Well. So there's a lot of things that they had to to work around and that's why so the plot can't and then there's also a scene between marlo and a the los angeles district attorney where it's a long conversation they have where it's kind of like a it's almost like a halfway point of the movie where marlo kind of explains everything and they cut that scene (laughs) Yeah. Movie. Yeah. But there's also like we'll get into it later. There's there's also like just this movie was shot and finished, and then they had to go back and they did reshoots and they recut it. So there's a 19, I think 1945 version or 1946 version. There's a 1945 cut of the film, and then there's the 1946 cut that was released. Right. Right. And between those cuts, there's 20 minutes of, like, the stories just diverge. Yeah, because so, that's so, really hard. So, yeah. Follow. So, the whole, the photographer, the the pictures that they were getting blackmail for were nudes of Carmen. Okay. And he was peddling in pornography. Okay. Geiger. Okay. He his um his rare books and antiquity shop was just a front. Yes, because when Marlo goes in there and asks about the books, that lady um 
she didn't realize that he was talking nonsense. So then Marlo right. knew, like, oh, this is a front. They don't know anything about books. Right. Okay. Well, we have a lot of, we have more banter between uh, Bacall and Bogey. Then we get introduced to this character, Eddie Mars. And Eddie Mars tells us that Sean Regan, remember, you know, the, the muscle for the general. Right. This guy off. that we never see. Oh, we only hear about Sean right. Regan. And at this point, I would like to just point out that this is why diversity in films can be a very good thing. Because when you have different people who look different from each other, then you're able to kind of visually tell people apart. Because there are a lot of people in this movie. I'm sorry. I know that it sounds bad. But I got very visually confused by people. I did too, and I'm white. Okay, thank you. They all there are a lot of people that all look the same, they right? They all look the same. The bookshop the, same... the female bookshop keeper and the other the two bookshop keepers. Agnes, I yeah. couldn't keep and they... Carmen I could not keep up with. Right. Then they throw then there's another character female character I couldn't keep up with. All the men characters, they're all wearing the same kind of suits and everything. I could not tell them all apart. Oy vey. Yeah, it's true. Well, uh, um, evidently, Sean Regan had run off with Eddie Mars's wife. Now, Eddie Mars mm. has the gambling establishment. Okay. I see. So now we're back at the Geiger bookstore, and he never sees Geiger. Well, because Geiger's dead at this Well, he point. sees Geiger dead. But he tells Agnes that he's got something to sell. And the back room door opens and you see two guys in there packing uh, up all the stuff. So he knows everybody's splitting. Well, he gets in a taxi with a female taxi driver. Oh, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I it was. I to add that to my good reading. And again, point. and he goes, follow that car, which every taxi driver wants to hear. And uh, she gives him his card and says, you know, call me anytime. And he said, anytime. And she goes, well, nights are better because I work during the day. Another female coming on to him. But I have to say, he is very charming. He does. Like, I'm not. Oh, I'll do it. I want to go. I want to date Humphrey Bogart. But I do enjoy the way that he banters with the ladies. He he's does not, banter. He's not condescending. Not at all. He's you got to he, be able to stick up for yourself to have a conversation with him. Yeah, and he um he he enjoy if he he's not intimidated by smart women. Well, except when he makes you know the one lady take off her glasses. But even mm. then, you're like Bogey knew he he knew that there was there was a dime piece under all of that. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, he goes back to Geiger's house again and finds Carmen hiding in the bushes. And he says to to her, how much do you remember about last night and who killed Geiger? And now we hear about this Joe Brody. Yeah, yeah, Joe did it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and she says Brody took the photo with him. So evidently that's the naked photo of her. 
And he says to Carmen, don't tell anybody you were here. And while they're there, the doorbell rings and a man comes in. And he goes, the girl can go, but you have to stay. Um, he sees the blood and he's going to call the police. And then he pulls a gun and then there's tough guy banter. And it's Mr. Mars. Eddie. Eddie Mars, who owns the gambling establishment. He also owns the house that Mr. Geiger was renting from him. <clears throat> That's why he was able to come into the house. Well, now we are back at Marlowe's office. And he's snapping his fingers and he's pacing the office and he's thinking. And the phone rings. And it's Bacall. And she was saying that um, the blackmailers were going to call her, but they didn't call. But she did get the money. <clears throat> and he says, okay, I'll stay right here until you call me back. And he hangs up and then he gets an idea. And I think this is when he actually turns on the light when he gets the idea. Oh. And he grabs his hat and he goes to the Brody apartment. Okay. I didn't even notice that because I'm like, wait, what is going on? Really? It's so hard to figure this out. Well, he's at the Brody apartment and Bacall arrives. Um, um, Bogey makes his move. He... They ring the bell. You got Geiger's stuff. I got his sucker list. We ought to talk. Another gun is pulled. And, oh, he says, come on out. Agnes comes out. Agnes from the bookstore. And then he goes, hey, yeah, and have uh, that other one come out too. Bacall comes out. I'm here to keep her from paying you off. You shot Geiger. Uh, you cleaned out the store before the police even thought there was a murder. You have a picture. Get the picture. A doorbell rings. And Brody goes to the door and bang, bang, bang. Oh, hands up. Carmen comes in with a gun. I want my picture, Joe. This is, this is exactly how the movie is. This is People exactly are like, how the movie is. wait, what is going on? Exactly. However, the funny thing is the bogey collects everybody's guns and has them all stuffed in his Oh, yeah, he just kept putting them pants. all in his waist. Yeah. He gives the film to bogey. He uh, tells Bacall to take Carmen home. How'd you get that picture? It fell out of somebody's pocket. Last night I was watching Geiger's Place. There was a Packard. I went home. The Packard car is in police custody. This is what is going on. And you go, <laughs> what? What? <laughs> who? Where? Well, Owen, who was the... We never saw Owen either. We never saw Owen, but he was the driver for the general. Yeah, he was the one that they fished out of the pier and had the broken neck. Right. He's the one who killed Geiger. And somebody followed him, and I played copper, and I took the film. Who took the film? Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. 
I just want to know what Geiger had on the Sternwoods. Okay, that would be Bogey saying that. Then a doorbell rings, and then dude goes to the door, and then there are the two shots. <laughs> oh, so now... Who, who, who got killed? killed? It was the, the apartment of... Whose apartment are they Brody's. at? Brody's. Okay, so Brody got Brody killed. Brody got killed. Okay. So, there's a chase. Bogart's chasing the guy who did the, instead of, the, what was that, the shark gram? <laughs> like, they were knock, <laughs> knock, knock, the shark gram. He said, knock, knock, and he opened it and just shot him twice. <laughs> instead of, kitty gram. Um, okay. So, there's a chase. And the kid from the Geiger's back room that was helping to. Well, his lover in the book. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure that's Lundergren. Uh, and says, you shot the wrong guy. Brody didn't kill Geiger. Oh, that's why yeah. you wanted to kill him. Yeah, but that's wow. never... You don't even no. get that in the movie. You just are led to Oof. believe that they were, like, you know, they were friends. They were running in the gangs. You know, like right. a gang kind of thing, where right. it was like, that was my buddy. I'm going to avenge him. Yeah, Okay. So now they go back to Geiger's house a freaking game. I don't understand why they go. I mean, I do because it's a set and so they could just go back there. But yeah, I'm always like, why are we still? Why, why hasn't this again? been? And why hasn't it been closed off? This is a crime scene. It is an yeah. open investigation. Obviously not. It's it made me laugh thinking of every time like like a dateline and the, everybody goes back and they just are cutting open the crime tape and just going back and sitting in, in like the living room discussing. Okay, so Bogey knocks out the kit and drags him inside and ties him up. And now dead Geiger is in his bed. Dead Geiger? Dead Geiger is in Geiger's bed. Wait, oh. what? Yeah, and so Bogey calls Bernie. The, wait, and the dead body is in the bed? Yes, the dead body that was missing. I completely is, missed that. Yeah. At which point I noticed something that is my in my bad reheatables. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> Not Bogey. the body that's in a... How long has this guy been dead? They didn't I, have air conditioning. I, I don't know. We didn't. That wasn't something. Nobody opened the door and was like, whoa, man, guys. What? Yes. <laughs> and then the next scene, we see Bacall walking into a, a lounge. Uh, a lounge as in a, uh, there's uh, live music and cocktails, a cocktail lounge. Yes. Thankfully, it has now been an hour and I can stop taking notes because I had no idea what was going on anyway. <laughs> How many times did you have to pause it to write your notes? I paused like, it when I could, on? but then it was like, why even pause? Because that's not making any sense to me anyway. I just would decided that I was, sometimes I would pause it and rewind it. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch it. And then thank God for uh, Wikipedia's plot synopsis. There you go. Okay, I'm exhausted, and we still have like an hour to go. Mm -hmm. Okay, so at this point, we stop, and we go to our itinerary, mm -hmm. and the next thing is POC account. It's POC count, not account, and it's not a difficult one this time. It's completely zero. Goose egg. I don't even 
even think there's even any reference to like there's there isn't even any uncomfortable uh jokes made at any no i guess the chinese i guess the chinese dress and chinese chair true and you go the people of color are one point up (laughs) because they aren't in this one (laughs) okay nerd alerts you've given us a couple do you have any others um let's see so Warner Brothers, well, you know how it always is that my nerd alerts get mixed in with the tasty with nuggets. tasty nuggets. But Warner Brothers didn't release this because it was the war was ending and they needed to get out all of their war movies. <laughs> like we need to release the war movies because the war is coming to an end, and once the war is over, no one will ever want to watch war movies again. Yeah, Which, except every Memorial Day. Yeah, except that's not true. But I understand it. Um, so, because Agent, while it was shelved, asked that portions be reshot to capitalize on their chemistry because to have and have not came out and Bacall and Bogey were quite the thing. I mean, they fell in love on that movie he was married. He was still married. So it was like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It was like Brad and Angelina Jolie, mm-hmm. you know, where it's mm-hmm. just like, oh my gosh. So they wanted to reshoot it. And also, the agent, um, the, to capitalize on their chemistry and the poor 1945 performance that Bacall had in Confidential Agent which was released before The Big Sleep, but after, but produced after The Big Sleep. So it's- She must have really bombed in that. But it's, here's the thing. To Have and Have Not was her very first movie. Oh, I didn't know that. She was 19 years old. In this movie that we see, The Big Sleep, because I was watching it, and you know how, like, with these movies, you'll see somebody, like Sean Connery, and you, I'm used to older Sean Connery, and then I'll go back and see young Sean Connery. I'm like, oh, man, that's Sean Connery when he was young. Mm-hmm. But it's just like he's younger Sean Connery. But this, I did stop to myself, and I was like, how old is Lauren Bacall in this how movie? How old was she? Because she looks super young. Yeah. She was 20. Wow. She was 20 years old. This was... I guess then her third film, she was an untrained actress and by her own accounts, scared to death. Because all of a sudden she's super famous and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So Warner Brothers agreed and they reshot a bunch of things. So there's 20 minutes of different content. And there's actually some scenes where when there's dialogue going on, the dialogue doesn't match that actress's mouth because um the movie changed so much they had to change dialogue to match with what happened wow because there were scenes added and stuff like that there were two characters in this recent in like the one that we all know that completely got cut out it was two more white guys so in in many ways thank goodness small blessings yeah um like I already mentioned, there was a long conversation between Marlo and the DA that spelled everything out. They got cut out. Um, 
I already mentioned the nerd alert with the guy and it's just his feet. Um, it also shows how the difference between how the tone and the impact can be altered with just a few scenes. Because in 1997, they released, they found, they actually found the 1945 original cut. Really? It was in the UCLA Film and TV Archive. Oh, wow. And Hugh Hefner actually raised money for the restoration. And in 1997, it was released. And I was reading a review by Roger Ebert, and he calls the 1946 one better and actually... Um, an example of when studio interference is the right thing because he uh-huh. said that Lauren Bacall wasn't bad in it at all like that her because she had a super powerful agent um, but she wasn't that bad in it but they were right to redo the scenes and capitalize on, because they added that whole race horse scene and stuff I think the whole club thing like where we cut off right now yeah. in our synopsis that that was all a reshoot and it was just because oh. the only reason really to watch this movie is their chemistry right and you're just and to just kind of watch a murder mystery like it's it's more about being a detective and less about having everything fit together you're just watching this guy as he's going through this case um <clears throat> So, but Ebert, oh yeah, not bad. Um, Because, yeah, she was 20, she was untrained, and she was scared to death. And that showed in the first original cut. And then when they went back and they redid it, she was kind of able to to just be better in it and to really embrace it. Oh, and also because she was, we have to do to have and have not soon but the thing that made her great in that from what i've read is that she's um you know she i think they use the word insolent but i don't know what that means she was like um she was very much of her own mind and opinion right and kind of stubborn and stuff and she has a very dangerous look to her just her she has lauren bacall eyes in real life they're green and she can kind of, she does, she's very good with cutting them a certain way. Even at 20, I noticed, where mm-hmm. she just seems dangerous and mysterious. And so when they did the recuts and stuff, she was able to tap more into that. And they really amped it up with her being um, just that chemistry and kind of making her character someone that Marlowe would be more attracted to. Right, right. But then there was also this thing about, so the woman who played Carmen, apparently in her scenes with Bacall was fantastic. She outshone Bacall. Yeah, that's Um, what Raymond Chandler said. Yeah. And the producers, um... I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's probably a mixture of that everything is true. You know, they had to give Bogart and Bacall more time, and you know, those are their stars. And we're put, we're adding this in. So if you're adding something, you got to take something out. So a lot of Carmen's strong scenes were taken out. Yeah. 
So they deleted yeah. much of her performance. Yeah, like like twenty minutes of her performance were on the cutting room floor because she outshone Bacall. Yeah, but until they until they got it so that it was the banter between the two of them. Originally, they didn't have that much banter. Yeah, and but everybody's like, guys, everyone wants to have and have not two. We just want to yes. see these two people back in this movie together. Right. This is what the movie is. And it's which is why the why the plot makes no sense. None. None. But even in so then there's another nerd alert. Even when they were making the movie, apparently Humphrey Bogart showed up on the soundstage one day. The another nerd a nerd alert within a nerd alert when he did show up because he had met he was married, met Lauren Bacall. His his wife in that marriage, I we I forget who we mentioned it, but remember how he befriended somebody because he he was married, um he was married to somebody with mental problems, and remember on the I forget what movie we did, and they struck up a friendship because he could relate because the Key sister Largo had, maybe we haven't done Key Largo, we did do Key Largo, we did. We did. Oh, maybe it was that then. Well, he but he struck up a friendship with somebody because of that. So his wife, they was married to. She had severe mental problems. She was, I think, schizophrenic and into the alcohol and all that kind of stuff. And he met Lauren Bacall and was like, "Man, I am. Uh, I gotta. I gotta get out of my marriage." She was nineteen. Yeah. How old? And he was like forty. He was 44. Whoa. So he also had an alcohol problem. Yeah. And during this movie, because he's having this affair and he has to also try to get out of his marriage with his wife, who is mentally unstable. So he's drinking a lot, and some days he just wouldn't show up, and so they'd have to shoot around his schedule. But the one day he did decide to show up, he shows up to the set, and he goes, who killed Owen Taylor? (laughs) And everything stops. Because nobody knows. Nobody knew. And so then they had to to tell her. So Howard Hawks is looking at the screenwriters. The screenwriters are all looking. They're like, uh, William Faulkner, you're a Nobel Peace, uh, Nobel Prize winning laureate. And he's like, I don't know. They sent a telegram to Raymond Chandler, the author of the book. And Chandler's like, guys, I don't know. (laughs) Because they wanted to know if it was murder or if it was a suicide. Yeah. And he was just nobody like, knows. nobody knew. <laughs> they, they were just like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. So, so Bogart's going, yeah, there's a reason why I'm drunk every day, people. <laughs> this plot doesn't make any sense. I'm dealing with this wife. I'm dealing with this young woman that I want to be married to. And <sighs> it's a hard lot life. It's a hard knock life indeed. Okay. Woo. Okay, uh, again, nerd alerts really go into our tasty nuggets. Mm-hmm. Reheatables. I have four goods and two bags. Oh, man, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten bads, and one, two, three, four, five goods. Okay, as 
we usually do. I will go first with my bats. Um, Bogey's teeth. Oh, I didn't even notice. It was at the. It was when Bogey was calling Bernie on the phone. Oh my God, his teeth are are as high as fuck. As Carmen was sitting in that Chinese chair. His teeth are high. Oh my God, they're so messed up. Oh, they're messed up. I was oh like, how do you God. have high teeth? Oh, oh. Well, and know, the times. One, we've already discussed the flirting with the girl, but she had to take her glasses off and take her hair down before he could deem to flirt with her. Yes, that was one of mine as well. Okay. I was like, oh, what is this? Glasses are reinforcing that standard that women in glasses aren't hot? Yeah. Excuse me? Excuse me. Have you not seen Charlize Theron in a pair of glasses? Yeah. Obviously, you haven't seen me in a pair of glasses. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> okay, my positives. Female taxi driver. Yes, that was, that was a surprise. Uh, the short jokes. I thought that was great. Incorporate yes. the fact that he's a short dude because all the female characters had to wear flats and he had to wear platform shoes. Yes, that was one of mine as well. Just the the um, wise guy banter. Mm-hmm. Come on. Come on. There's a lot of great lines. And when they are at Eddie, Eddie Mars's establishment of gambling and... He is in Eddie Mars's uh, inner office, and Eddie Mars is by his little portable bar. What was behind him on the wall? I didn't notice. You didn't notice it was a portrait of Chan. Oh wow! Well, I'm glad I didn't. It was a it was a headshot that looks so much like Chandler. That's kind of crazy. Okay, we we lost our Chandler, our 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 pointer grand dog on Monday. Had to had to go to doggy heaven because he was extremely oh, sick. The big sleep. And yeah. Really? So we we were in a funk until last night when a new member of our family has emerged, Dr. Jeff Queso, a an English Excuse Bulldog me, Dr. Mix. Jeff Jefferson Queso. <laughs> and so anyway, I that I was just, I couldn't believe it because there were so many shots of Eddie Mars standing right in front of that picture. So no, I those told you, are my reading. Anytime I see Humphrey Bogart, I'm just drawn to his head. And I just how try to think is. about like, how big, is it the size of a cinder block? Is it the size of my Vitamix canister? I, I just I, start compare, trying to compare it to things. I truly think it's a normal size, just like Nancy Reagan's head was a normal size. It was just the fact that their bodies were so much smaller than you expected them to be. I was thinking, like, does his his uh, estate, have they sued the bobblehead company? <laughs> like, you, excuse me. That is the likeness of our grandfather, I will have you know. <laughs> the original bobblehead. Oh. Unbelievable. Okay, your reheatables, please. My bad reheatables. Well, we already kind of put on, like, Lauren Bacall was 20. And uh, yeah. 
Humphrey Bogart was 44, although my second note that I wrote with my left hand while eating my chicken wings was <laughs> 38 because that was the age that Philip Marlowe said he was. Was supposed to be. And right. I was like, my no, God. No, no, no. <laughs> No, no, his age was supposed to be 35. But he says 38 in the movie. They made it 38, so it was a little more like, yeah, Bogey could pull off 38. Not really. No, because I instantly like looked in the mirror and said, my God. <laughs> wow. Yes. But yeah. I think well. he was in, a, in World War I, so anytime anyone's in a war... That age is He was in World War One. Yeah, he was born in like 1899. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. I need a moment to process. He was born in 1899. Wow. Well, yeah, but this movie was in, came out in 1946. It was shot in 45. Okay, So, Lauren Bacall was born in, like, 26. Oh, no. She was born in 1924. Okay. She, I'm telling you, she was 20. Right, when this when you are seeing Lauren Bacall in this movie, that is a 20-year-old, honestly, girl. But. But she does carry herself as an older, wiser, uh, well, lived yeah. a life she was born and raised in the bronx there you go so that that's on one hand it's my bad reheatable but then according to lauren bacall this was the best marriage of her life how many did she have she had two her second one was to jason robards and she didn't was not a big fan of that one also yeah, an alcoholic yeah he was an extreme wow she had a type she had a type and mm. then she was like, excuse me, I'm Lauren Bacall. I don't need this mess. She right. she had a fling before that with Frank Sinatra. She could have had a fling with anybody she wanted to fling with. Yeah, and I think after the Robard, she was just like, I'm going to be a mom and fling. That's. I happen to know her favorite kind of pie. Okay. Her favorite pie is lemon meringue. I know this because there used to be a restaurant in D.C. called Dominique's. I knew it was going to be Dominique's when you were like, there used to be a restaurant in D.C. And they like to name their desserts after certain celebrities. And so she went in there and she said her favorite dessert was lemon meringue pie. And they said, well, we have a key lime. Could we do that? And she said, no. Because that's not lemon meringue. <laughs> ah, Bacall. Bacall. That was back in the in the 80s, early 80s, because I was we were a fan of Dominique's. We went there for any special occasion. You went there as a toddler. I that's how well behaved I was. You were. And <laughs> The uh, waiters and waitresses just kept bringing you um, maraschino cherries on those little sword skewers. I remember them. And you would play with those. And the owner, Diana Damewood, came by and she goes, well, I see you've been well taken care of. She, As in, she wasn't that impressed that you had gotten so many 
skewer, sword skewers, but like I'm going, she's a toddler and she's totally well behaved in this establishment. This is before there were phones and iPads, people. Exactly. They're, you know, the the Dominique's wasn't the kind of restaurant where they gave you a Crayola and you could write on the nap on the placemats. No. Yeah, they didn't give you a coloring placemat and four Crayolas. No. No. All that they had were sword skewers, macar whatever the cherries. Maraschino cherries. And the look of the withering look of my parents. <laughs> That's all I needed. You and a take, good time was had by all. You could take me anywhere. <laughs> That's right. But there was no lemon meringue pie on the menu, so there was no Lauren Bacall's name on the menu. Oh, so this was after? Trivia, you only get here, folks, about that same time. Oh, mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. Oh, yeah, my that he was 38, and I was like, nope. The bookkeeper taking off her glasses. Mm -hmm. Philip Marlowe's complete lack of disrespect for crime scenes. No yeah. wonder he was kicked off the force. Yeah. I mean, come on, guy. Um, He does slap Carmen. <laughs> but she was high as fuck. <laughs> and he, he did slap her. But I'm like, and I was like, am I putting this? Because she was really high. But I'm he like, had to get through to her. But she was humming and rocking. They always say under no circumstances. So I put that on my battery heatable. Okay. Um, I thought that Max Steiner's score was a bit much at places. But then it's only, I think, a bit much to me now because I'm so used to the, that sort of film noir score. Like yeah. whenever he was working on the cipher and that the music would just really swell. And I'm just like, all right, I yeah. get it. Can we calm yeah. down with the strings? Jeez. Yeah. But it's just. Oh, well, it, it was Max Steiner. He's he's done several of our scores. Yeah, he's a prodigy. So, you know. Okay. Yeah. You um, know. I do not believe that Philip Marlowe wore pajamas. He wakes up Nancy in the middle Jackson. of the night. I I yeah. find that hard to believe. I don't, because men did. That's just weird to me. I know. Well, I know. Um, the it's plot. <laughs> I mean, the plot is a definite there. downer. <laughs> yeah. There. Oh, I already mentioned the whole, like, getting around the haze code with the Chinese dress and the Chinese chair and stuff to mean illicit stuff i'm like oh, that's not it's not great i guess that's why i assumed opiate oh no oh, never mind move on real what? quick go See? quickly this is what quickly happens when you something. can't mention pornography you just become racist this is the bottom line you gotta find out racist workarounds my last battery heatable all the unlocked cars just every oh, car's unlocked. Car. Nobody locked them. You could just and the registration is just in plain sight. Exactly. Who owns the car <laughs> is right there just, on the steering wheel. Yeah. Just oh man. All right. So my good reheatables. Ah. Oh, piggybacking. So he slaps her and then he he picks her up and he takes her to the home and puts her upstairs and then he tosses her in the middle of the bed. And I it made me LOL because. 
on one hand, it was so courteous and yet so disrespectful at the same time. Courteous in that by him tossing her, she does land in the middle of the bed, which is very nice. Instead yeah, of being placed really, just on uh, the edge. How many edge. takes did that take? Because he's a, a slight man. How many takes did it take for him to get her in the middle of the bed? Yeah, and then also disrespectful because he's also just tossing her. And yeah. I, I just love that. Um, let's see. Lauren Bacall's strong chin. I'm like, that's a chin of a movie star right there. And her hair. Her hair. But I'm just like, look at that bone structure. Yeah. That's the face of a movie star. Yeah. You do anything that you can to make that shine. You know, I don't remember seeing her ankles, but I'm sh pretty sure they were pretty good looking ankles. Too. Oh, are you kidding me, Ma? You think that she has farmer ankles? No, no, no. <laughs> she has aristocratic ankles. You can tell by how just slight she's a very slight woman. She's tall and lean. Lean. Okay. She's just very tall, lean, and elegant. Yeah. Elegant. She's elegant. Um, all the short jokes that Bogey makes. Yeah, I like that. Um, I mean, honestly, Bogart and Bacall. Yeah. And the female cab driver. Those are my yes. good reheatables. <clears throat> well, now we're to MVPs. And I didn't write any down. But there was a scene where they were outside and somebody gets shot. Who is it that gets shot and he dies a really long time? shot in this movie i know oh, is it at died. the end and he yeah. like died and then he oh no that was at the very end it was mars where they had mars had his guys outside and no 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 this oh. wasn't that this was out at the a guy outside of bogey's car it was at the it was at the geiger house oh i, I don't know. remember who he shoots but that guy dies for about 15 minutes. That's your and MVP? that <laughs> is my MVP. I, well, my I have co-MVPs. I mean, it's Bogey and Bacall. It's the whole reason that you should watch this movie. The plot makes no sense, but you don't need the plot when you've got these two movie stars. I don't know what it is about Humphrey Bogart. This is what I was getting to earlier. He's not an attractive man. He's got a bobblehead body. And yet, I was completely won over yet again, just like in Casablanca. Every time I see him for the first time, I'm like, this is the movie star of movie stars? What? And then, all of a sudden, he's completely won me over. Yeah, with his, he does. His jokes on his shortness the the look like the look that he gave the the female taxi driver at one point how he was just smitten with her um it's just, you're just like well how have we doggone i guess yeah. that's why he's bogey yeah huh. cuz there's not the stature his face nope there's nothing that you can go wow about until he turns on that charm and you're just like, how did he do? Where did this come from? 
Because he's got he's, some really messed up teeth. He's got messed up teeth. He wore a wig, I found out. Doesn't surprise me. I mean, super short. We already went over the bobblehead body. I was trying to figure out who now that he looks like just in the face. And I think even like Ben Affleck's bigger, but just in the face is just a worn down his face. You just basically take Ben Affleck's head and put it on a slight person's body. And I would be like, okay, I could see that as bogey. But even that is like Ben Affleck's way better looking than Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. But that was the best I could do because. Well, but that just shows charm. I mean, but Humphrey Bogart is not Humphrey Bogart today. You know? That's just a guy that everything lined up for him. Yeah. Because he's not making it in Hollywood 2019. Oh, my God. No, he would get no callbacks. He would be typecast as the creep. Yeah. And yeah. that's it's interesting because that's what how he was. He was typecasted in the beginning of his career. He was always like the... He was like the... um. He was that guy... Edward G. Robinson. Yeah, the wise guy. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like Casablanca and, and the Maltese Falcon that changed everything. Okay, we are to recasting. Now, um, truth disclaimer, I came up with a second cast last night in bed, and I didn't write it down, and oh, so I don't have it. Unbelievable. I just have one cast. I have one cast, which is a Hamilton cast, which is a mix of peoples. But then I had a... Get a out female, of here, Ma! I had a female cast. Oh, interesting. I know who I had as Marlo in my fe- female <laughs> cast. It's going to be funny. <laughs> okay. Okay. So in my female cast as Marlo, I went with somebody from Baltimore. Somebody from Baltimore. Come on, come on. I mean, who can be more gangsta than that? I Jada don't... Pinkett Smith was my female Marlowe. <laughs> the female. Small and she's short. Oh, man, but I cannot remember the... Uh, and I went, I nailed this. <laughs> I'm sorry. Jada, I like Jada Pinkett Smith as Marlowe. Yeah, she could totally do it. That's good. And then there was the young... Floozy. Hmm. Oh, shit. Okay, I don't have that. But I do have my cast. Okay. My Hamilton cast, okay? hmm Okay, I'm going to do my Marlowe last. I did my Mars, Eddie Mars. Uh-huh. Edward Norton. Yeah, that would be good. I didn't do Eddie Mar- I only did three characters because I got it. after all of those three, they all ran together for me. I know. I was like, I, I don't know. So my Vivian, mm-hmm. who has to be, you know, kind of in charge, mm-hmm. but Gorge, Ruth Nega. Interesting. My Carmen, who has to be a young total floozy, Jessica Alba. Ah. She could totally do it. And my Marlowe, I'm pretty proud of. Is it Idris Alba? It's not. 
It's badder than Idris. Oh. Tom Hardy. <laughs> oh, that's, Drop the mic. What a moody Marlowe. <laughs> Drop the mic. Come on, Marlowe. Tom Hardy. Yeah, that was deep. Or Jada. Which I like Jada. I like the Jada. Actually, as we could go Jada, Jessica Alba, Ruth Nega, and Ed Norton. <laughs> that, yeah, that's a good cast. Okay. I went with a cast of well, one one known and then two relatively unknowns. Mm-hmm. But I was going for like I was going for that realness. So my my well, I'll go with my Carmen. Okay. Do you watch a show called Snowfall? No, I haven't. Okay. Because she's on, this is an actress that's on Snowfall. And her name is, I think it's Rain Edwards. So I'm like, oh, she would be a good Carmen. Because I also was, I got quite shook when I realized that Lauren Bacall was 20 in this. So I thought that I, in recasting, I needed to go age appropriate. Also, so did we ever, because she was married. She was Mrs. Rutledge in this. Yeah. I read that she was divorced. But did they ever mention that? Yes. Okay. In the very beginning, they mentioned that she was divorced. Okay. So at 20, she was already divorced. And that makes Carmen younger than her, which means in her teens. Well, also, I wondered if it was a thing where she was playing older. But to me and my I'm I'm in my worldly ways, I was just like, that is a very young person. Just the young. That is the skin of someone who is just 20. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I wonder if she was supposed to be older, but it's just the reality of like, like she's like Vivian Rutledge is really 25 and Carmen. Yeah, 20. that's how I felt. But I'm like, no. So um, did you go for? For my Philip Marlowe. <gasps> You're going to make me wait on Vivian? Yes, because Vivian, I nailed it. Okay. I'm just like, drop the mic, that's done. Call this in right now. My Philip Marlowe, I went with Holt McCallany. I don't know if that's how you say it. A.K.A. Uh, old Tench in Mindhunter. The guy with the box top. <gasps> I'm like, he's Marlowe. What? Okay. Right? Okay. That'd be great. Yeah. Bit typecasting, but whatever. Okay. My Vivian. Yes. (coughs) Nailed it. Zendaya. Okay. Done and done. Yeah. There you have it. Yeah. Okay. So I wish I could remember my Carmen from my female cast. Because I know. I'm thinking, Jay, you know, let's have this up. Let's have this up. Jada Pinkett Smith as Marlo? Yes. Is it Zendaya or Zendaya? Zendaya, I okay. think. Okay. Zendaya as, as Vivian. Because I don't, like, have you watched Euphoria? No. It's it, I. It's really good, but it's just like 
what are these kids up to these days? Yeah. But she yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. I'm glad. Because I always liked her. And I liked her in Dancing with the Stars. Yes, that makes me a really old woman. I didn't even know she was on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, she did really good. I mean, um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Jada would be a badass Marley. I wish you could remember then who your Carmen was. I'll let you know if I if I can come up with it, but mm, I'm a half gallon into the Valpolicella. So. I understand. Okay, we're ready for tasty nuggets. Right. And at this point in their relationship, Bacall and Bogier are having an affair because he's still married. He's drinking. But it was three months later that they were married. After this film wrapped, they got married. Mm -hmm. Okay, Martha Vickers, who plays Carmen, so overshadowed Bacall that much of her footage ended up on the cutting room floor. We already said that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, Jack Warner of Warner Brothers gave Howard Hawks $50,000 to buy the rights for this book and it said he used between five and ten thousand dollars to pay for the rights and he pocketed the rest hey that's just a good businessman you already said that they they took out the whole part about marlo explaining the whole plot mm -hmm. uh but howard hawks the director said Audience don't care if the plot made sense if they had a good time at the show. Yeah. That's why I, I recommend watching it, basically. Is yeah. Because you're going to see two of the biggest movie stars. Yeah. And there is one place where he's thinking and he puts a light on. Mm. And there is one place where that dude dies forever, like me falling down at <laughs> whatever amusement park. MVP! Okay. Uh, Bogey wore platform shoes. Oh, interesting. Bogey thought some of the original lines were too genteel, and he assumed they were written by the female Lee Brackett. They were written by Faulkner. Mm -hmm. Genteel? Mm -hmm. That sounds like Faulkner. I, I don't know. I've never read any Faulkner. I don't think I have either. <laughs> when you mention this book. Um... They had they had lots of rewrites to hype up their sexual chemistry. It was a complicated plot. Did you notice when Bacall and Bogey were in the car together, she slouched down? I wonder why she was being so slouchy, because she yeah. was tall. It, and remember in Key Largo when she always slouched down? It was because of their height difference? I do not remember Key Largo. Oh, me and the hurricane. I don't think I think that Key Largo was one of the movies that you watched on your own. Okay, I I am going to challenge you to go back in <laughs> Gone with the Bushes history. Okay, Agnes, the girl who played Agnes, the the bogus bookstore store. Mm -hmm. This was her first film, Sonia Darren, and she was so nervous. They had to, when she was pouring drinks, they had to give her weighted glasses so that, weighted drinking glasses, so that it didn't show how badly her hands were shaking. Really? Wait, what did, who did she play? 
Agnes. Who was Agnes? Agnes was the shopkeeper, shop female oh. person of the bogus antiquity store. Hmm. But they said that also Bacall's hand shook because they were in the middle of this affair and he was still married. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they dealt with her too because she was nervous the whole time. She was only 20, yeah. having an affair with this married dude. And uh, again, I came up with nobody knows who killed Owen. <laughs> yeah, they don't know if he, if he was killed or he killed himself. Right. And nobody cares because they had a good time watching Bogey and Bacall in the movie. Good time was had by all. Okay. My tasty nuggets. So, we had a Bogart wore a wig, which I was like, wait, what? I didn't see that. It didn't stand out, which back then that kind of stood out a little bit. But really... Trying to follow the plot made you like not focus on the little details. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna save that for last. So, uh, 2003 AFI listed Philip Marlowe as the 32nd greatest hero in film. Empire Magazine in their October 2007 um, masterpiece collection listed it. And 2012 Sight and Sound Critics Poll, it was the 200 and 200 and second two. It was number 202 <laughs> of the greatest films ever made. <laughs> there we go. How Adam would you say that? The 202nd <laughs> greatest film ever made? I don't know. Obviously, that wasn't done by an American because no American would even bother counting that. That's why I don't know how to say 200 and second. 200 and second. Yeah, yeah you got it. Whatever. This sounds girl. like loser to me. Um, so he wore a wig. His wig maker. What? Was named Ver- Verita Bonver Thompson. She was a hard drinking woman. He met her two years before he met Bacall. And they had a 17-year affair. His he, wig maker? Yes. He was she was a trained wig maker. So while he is with his wife banging Bacall, he's having an affair with this wig maker? Yes. Because so I came to this as usually happens. The podcast is about to start. I end up falling down this rabbit hole because I go, wait, hold on a second. That was a toupee that uh, Bogart was wearing. And then I was like, because first it was like, how tall is Bogart? And then it was like, was Bogart wearing a rug? And then it took me to the obituary of this woman. And earlier when I was reading about Lauren Bacall, it had made the comment, somebody... Oh, Howard Hawks was also in love with Lauren Bacall because Lauren Bacall. So at first he was like the mentor and stuff. And then on to have and have not, he saw the the writing in the tea leaves and stuff. And so he got kind of mad about it. But then 
And he went to Lauren and told, was like, hey, what are you doing? Like, this guy's married, even though he was married, too. And, you know, was, like, basically doing the blah, blah, blah. He was like, if you don't stop this, I'm going to bust you down to some other. It was, like, some poverty row production company, like, movie house. So she got super upset because she was probably 19 at the time. Went to Bogey. Bogey was like, what? Went to Howard Hawks. They had it out. Bogey obviously won. Howard Hawks was like, well, yeah, I'm going to pick my battles and I'm not going to get into, you know, an argument with the highest grossing movie star around. Like at this time, Humphrey Bogart was the biggest thing going. He was the biggest star. So then he later said, made some comment about how like Humphrey Bogart loved to go sailing And he would spend weekends always sailing. He loved to sail around Catalina Island, but sailing made Lauren Bacall sick. And that Humphrey Bogart basically fell in love with her character on Into Have and Have Not. And she just had to play that character for the rest of, well, basically for the rest of his life because he died when she was 33. But by her accounts, you know, her way to tell it, and I didn't read all of her book, but just from the articles and stuff like she says that she had one good marriage and it was the Humphrey Bogart but then I read the obituary of this lady because remember I mentioned how he loved to go he would spend every weekend going sailing but Lauren Bacall wouldn't go sailing with him because she was seasick well she this Vernita woman she um they would go sailing that's where, that's how they kept their affair going. He wasn't out. Humphrey Bogart wasn't out there sailing around Catalina alone. He was sailing with the wig maker. And they would sail every weekend. And she loved to sail. And then she opened she opened a Mexican restaurant on what? Laurel Canyon. And then no, I'm sorry, it was on Sunset Boulevard. And then she moved to Mississippi. And then she moved to New Orleans and opened a uh piano bar and then when hurricane katrina was about to hit she said quote lauren bacall failed to chase me out of hollywood katrina won't force me out of new orleans did she die well yeah she she died before lauren bacall did but did she die in the hurricane after saying that Mm, i don't think so Wow! Oh, she's a wig maker. She she knows how to how to uh, navigate tight situations. Wow! So I was just like, bogey. That's how they were back then. Still now, probably, etc. <sighs> I know that totally sucks. I know. But Lauren Bacall is like, I had a good life. She said that she, she learned she, did. she learned in she learned like from growing up in New York City that the world's not going to give you anything. And then she always took that. Is she still around? No, she passed away in like 2014. I think she uh, she was sassy to the end. Sassafras. Do not do not put my name on key lime pie. I said lemon meringue, bitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With those eyes. Those eyes. 
She could cut those eyes. She could cut them. And you don't even see them, but in there, everybody says they're green. But this was black and white, so he couldn't see. He knew that exactly. they weren't brown. Well, it was fun to watch for their banter and for, like, I swear that car that he drove was like the one that my mother and aunt bought together. And I used to have to, when my mother substituted, she'd drive that to the school and I would be so embarrassed. I don't understand why, but just to me, it's just an old car. Yeah, I don't know why I was either. That was just uh, a lot of white privilege rearing its ugly head because it was a cool car truth be told yeah i just think you're a little kid and you're just like i'm so embarrassed i was a little bitch (laughs) what you is it possible i cannot believe such a thing but you being snobby come on oh that that cuts a little close to the quick okay next week Oh, we are doing a film from 1969. 1969, so recent. That was mm-hmm. 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. The producer and one of the lead actors has recently left us. Are we doing Easy Rider? We are finally <laughs> doing Easy Rider. I have heard this has not aged well. Uh, probably hasn't. That will be interesting in our problematicness. Have you? When was the last time that you've seen this? I believe in 1970. Ah, because I've seen it more recently than you have. Oh wow! So it is problematic. It's not problematic. It's just more. I saw it. I mean, geez, by now it's probably 20 years ago. But I remember being like. So this uh, is Easy Rider? Oh, it was so iconic at the time. It starts out with them taking off their wristwatches and throwing them down. Because, like, time don't matter, bitch. Yeah. But then, I th- it, how long is it? I remember it being real long. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, really? Like I'm like, yeah, time doesn't matter to you, but to me... I like the soundtrack. <laughs> okay, this was my really early, early youth. This was like my Whoa. my junior year of college. I mean, high school. Junior year of high school? Yeah, because you would have been... An hour and 35 minutes. Oh, wow. You could give me an hour and 35 minutes. I apologize. I thought that it was. Oh, so it felt longer. Ouch. But that was, you know, but that was before. And I'm, I'll have a little cocktail. I'll get in the Easy Rider spirit. So maybe get that'll change. Get in the change. Easy Rider spirit. Maybe that'll change my perspective on things. You were 17 when this movie came out. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I hadn't been to college yet. And you're like, when I go to college. Three years before I met your poppy. You're, I'm going to go off and just be in the motorcycle gang. I'm going to no, try. I'm going to be, wait, I'm going to be in the now. <laughs> Hickart. Wow. 
nights? Well, I think, you know, Peter left us and it, uh, we should do an homage to him. I think it's, uh, it's the only film I remember of him. Well, there's Yuli's Gold. As I said, and, um, <laughs> it, it made a big impact on me. All right. We will do it. This will be the final film before Paul Newman month begins. Paul Newman month. I'm getting my Paul Newmans together <laughs> before blue. Okay. That's good. That's good. Yes. And then we go into our, as much as we do horror month. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I don't do a lot of horror, you know. Okay. So we hope you enjoyed this, the big sleep. We now have a new grand dog at this point named Dr. Jeff Queso. Also known as Dr. Jefferson, Dr. Jeff Jefferson Queso. Or just Jefferson, as some of the rebels might call him. Or as the real people will call him, Jeff. Whereas the real people will call him white cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jeff Jefferson Fresco or Queso Blanco. Queso Blanco Fresco. Yeah. And we have yet to meet him personally. So we're looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. We'll be very calm when we meet him. Rest in peace, Chandler. What are you doing to me? Oh, my God. We're going to cry now. Okay, so there you have it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.